Hi, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to Stage Door Medium. Listening to season two, episode nine, Getting to Know You, connecting with Oscar Hammerstein. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a very special week here at Stage Door Medium. You are either listening or watching season two, episode nine, Getting to Know You, connecting with Oscar Hammerstein. So, we have a really special episode for you this week. It's a little different. We do not have a Broadway artist coming on this week to talk. However, um, we're switching gears a little bit because the main guest is someone who's already deceased. So before we get going with this week's really special episode, I received a great question from one of our viewers, Hallie. So hi, Hallie. Thank you for this one. The question was so, it's a great one. I've been asked a couple times now um, from, from various folks, so I thought I would answer it here. So the question was, does spirit grow up or do they, you know, do they age on the other side? And if so, what age do they look like when I channel them? So this is such a great question. Um, it's a little layered, so bear with me. I'm going to try my best to explain it. But first and foremost, when I channel a soul, it's really important that they come through at the age they passed. Why? Otherwise, it's going to be super confusing. If I have somebody who passed at 90, but they're coming through as a 20-year-old because that's when they felt their best, it's not going to make sense with the client. So if I have this 90-year-old who has long blonde hair again and um, no wrinkles, anything like this, I'm going to say, hmm, I have somebody who blonde-haired who looks like they were 20 years old uh, at the time of their passing. Wrong. What's happening is that for me as a medium, I say all mediums drain down after a while. And spirit, if they're not good at this game of Pictionary or however they want to relay the information to us, it can be a little draining on the medium. It can be very confusing to the client. So I always tell them, please come through exactly the age you were when you passed. So if I have somebody who passed at 45, they're going to come through looking like they were 45. From there though, then what will happen sometimes? It's not all the time. Like if I'm getting somebody who passed at 65, typically they will just stay as their 65-year-old self. However, if every so often I will see a soul do like the the Cinderella transformation, you know, where she goes from the rags to the ball gown and that big fancy glittery thing that's happening. Every so often I will see that happen. And then, I, then I'll go to the client. Oh, okay. They don't want to be remembered as how they looked at 65. They want to go back to how they looked at 25 or 30. Sometimes if spirit shares an insight like this, it's really important for me to share it as the medium. Because for example, let's say two years before they pass, they are on some type of medication that causes an extreme amount of weight gain. And maybe they they don't feel the best in their body. Uh, And this was not a time that they look back on fondly. They're not going to want to stay in that vehicle. So they're going to come back as a 30-year-old. So that might make more sense to the client. 
other times, if I have a soul who was very vain while they were here in the physical and they would have been clinging on to youth as they got older, for example, they would have done plastic surgery, Botox, things like that, and they're going back to when they were 25, that might also be something important to note because it's a way of validating that soul's personality of what they were like when they were here in the physical. Another interesting thing I should note is when I encounter miscarriages, they do, it's like a two-step thing for me. So sometimes what will happen is I, typically what will happen is if I see or sense a miscarriage or a terminated pregnancy or a stillborn, I will always see a blanket first, like a baby blanket. Um, if it's white to me, that indicates that it was a terminated pregnancy. If it is pink or blue, that indicates stillborn or that indicates miscarriage. And then from there, I will see a child, however many years old they would now be in spirit. So if I see that blue blanket and then it changes to a four-year-old, I might say, I'm sensing a, a miscarriage here. Do you connect with this? This child, I believe, would have been a boy and they would now be about four or five years old. Hopefully the client will understand and connect with this and say, you know, I had a miscarriage um, four and a half years ago. So that's the best way I can explain that. Yes, they will always come through at the age they passed. From there, based on their personality quirks or their self-esteem for how they would have felt their best when they were alive, they will sometimes change back to that age where they felt their best. Babies are very different. I see it as a blanket first, and then it kind of like morphs into uh, a child and how old that child would be here in the physical. Let's talk about this week's episode. This week is super special very different uh, as I normally have a Broadway artist with me and I don't this week. So as much as I miss uh, having a fantastic guest with me, uh, I'm really excited to recap my experience at Oscar Hammerstein's home with you. So before we go on, because it's crazy, uh, let's go back and let me tell you a little bit about how this opportunity came about. It's crazy how the universe works. I did a reading for somebody I don't know how long ago, this must have been seven, eight months ago, I believe, for somebody who lives in Pennsylvania in Bucks County, where, long story short, Oscar Hammerstein lived for about 20 years. So I read this person, person one. They then uh, share their experience that they had with me to a friend of theirs who is a realtor. The realtor starts watching the podcast and she's like, oh, this is all about mediumship and musical theater. That's funny because one of my close friends owns Oscar Hammerstein's house. Wild, right? So we've got the client that I read. She tells a realtor, fabulous human being we're going to talk about in a little bit. She's best friends with somebody that owns Oscar's house. So I'm at work and I get this email. Now, mind you, I have to tell you that I get super cautious now of emails because when you create a business, uh, you start getting a lot of crap emails some of them are actually worded really well. Like one time I got this email that was like strongly worded that I was doing a copyright infringement. So I checked it and then I was like, oh, this, this isn't real. Now, mind you too, if, if you were listening last week, I got that email from Victoria Clark and I thought it was like Broadway's Victoria Clark, like the Victoria Clark, wrong. And it was like, you have great potential. I would love to work with you as the CEO. And it was like a bot. And like I clicked the user and it was not like Victoria Clark at gmail.com or whatever the real Victoria Clark's email is. <laughs> This was like bought at like whatever the, the domain was. So 
Anyway, I've, I've become very cautious of, of, of emails that I get because I never want to get my hopes up. Recently, I got an email and I almost deleted it and it turned out to be one of the most incredible upcoming opportunities for me. So I really have to sift through things and be like, is this real? Is this not? So anyway, I'm at work and I get this email and it's talking about Oscar Hammerstein's home. And it basically was uh, this very kind email uh, asking if I would ever be interested in coming over to stay at Oscar's house. Uh, and so I, I reread it a couple times and um, I like immediately start crying at work because you have to understand as, as somebody who started this podcast, having no clue if it would ever be received, if it would be embraced to receive this type of email, A, where it's just this incredibly generous and kind email and offer, but then to see that like something that you've been working so hard at to combine two things that you love, which is theater and mediumship, to see that there are other people out there that kind of pick up on that, you know, light that you're trying to give off. And it was incredible. It meant so much to me. So I call my spouse because remember, as a medium, I can't look anything up. I can't, I don't want to know anything before I go into a situation. So I tell him about it and I'm like, can you just make sure, like, is this legit? Like, is this, you know, I don't, I basically, I don't, <laughs> I'm like, is this some type of sketchy thing that I should be aware of? And he checks and he's like, uh, no, it's, it's legit. I got back to them. It was a quick yes. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to be up there in the summer. I will, uh, I would love to make this happen. I would be so honored to come on up. I can't guarantee anything. I don't really know how this is going to work stepping into the home of like famous Oscar Hammerstein II, but we'll give it a try. That leads me to the next point. So immediately upon, and I think this is just me, anytime there's this incredible opportunity that comes my way, I think it's human. I always second guess it. I'm like, well, what if I do a bad job? What if they're disappointed in me? I think for me that imposter syndrome kicks in so deep all the time. So I immediately started self-sabotaging going, Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. I can't do this. I'm not good enough to be doing this. And then you have to just slow down and say, if the universe gave you this opportunity, you would be the biggest dummy to turn it down. A couple things, I guess, to note, though, about the experience. Um, if you listen to earlier podcast episodes, I had an episode with uh, the fantastic Dana Steingold from Beetlejuice, where we kind of broke down like haunted houses versus like energetic imprinting. So mind you, as a medium, I'm going to be very honest, and I know this answer is probably going to disappoint you, but when I go to some famous sites, like we have a we have a big fort, you know, where battles took place, when I go there, it's quiet. You know, I, I think so many people expect you to go to these places and almost think that you're in something like Disney's Haunted Mansion. Do you know what I mean? Where you're seeing all these people that are kind of like stuck or, you know, stuck in the past and I, I've seen some on television that are, that go to these battle sites and they're like, oh my gosh, they don't know the war is over and they're still battling. And it's not, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be very honest. I don't believe in that. Um, while I do believe that some spirits might have a harder time crossing if they're not ready to go, I don't believe that anyone stays stuck. It's very hard for me to believe in the concept that, that we would stay stuck to an area where something traumatic happens to us or where we pass. That's not to say that I don't think we come back and check in on our home. 
we check in on our neighborhood. Of course, if we pass away and we leave kids behind, yes, we're going to be going to their house and checking in on them. And if they have children, they're, you know, our, our grandchildren from the other side. But uh, you're probably not going to like this answer, but I'm, I'm not a big proponent of like going into places and just believing that they're haunted. To me, that is a very dangerous thing to go into a space where a lot of bad things have happened and try to contact the soul that was killed there. For example, let's say this was a lovely human being, incredible, lovely, kind human being that was in the wrong place, the wrong time. They were taken to a place, they were murdered. That soul is not going to be staying at that place. Do you know what I mean? So when you see some of these ghost tours, I'm just a little skeptical sometimes because I think it's dangerous energetically to be going into a space and calling on energy where really bad things have happened. That is one reason why like I I don't participate, like I don't do any of the ghost tour types of things. I don't do anything like that. So I had my own apprehension going into the Hammerstein house of going like, well, I'm not going to be going in with like the, the Ghostbuster packs on my back and or setting up infrared cameras. Like that's not what I do. I'm just going to use this. I'm going to go in and do the best job that, that I can possibly do. It's also really tricky too, because when I get into the history of the home, you're going to realize that Oscar was not the first person to inhabit the home. So if you're going to a home that has such a rich history to it, as a medium, you really have to make sure that you are contacting the correct soul. You're contacting the correct person. Because other folks might come through. You want to make sure that you're talking to the person that you intend to talk with. So let's backtrack a little bit. A couple of things that you should know. Oscar Hammerstein really was like a game changer lyricist for American musical theater. Oscar Hammerstein's lyrics were some of the first that were really designed to help progress the plot of shows, uh, really helped develop the character deeply. Before Oscar came along, there weren't really as many serious musical theater lyricists. I mean, many of them were, were pretty frivolous. And now that I've read his book after I toured the home, Oscar was acutely aware of this growing up, that there weren't really any musical theater or, you know, lyricists that were advancing the plot, that were deepening character. So Oscar's lyrics were kind of game-changing for the history of musical theater. It's really neat because I, I like to go into a, a reading knowing nothing. I want to know not a single thing about the client that I'm reading. And that was the other tricky thing about coming to this home. I couldn't really look up anything about the Hammerstein home because it might start to say, oh, did he pass here? Did he do this? Did he? Th I, I can't know any of that. I want to make sure that I go in with as little subjectivity as possible into a reading, into this space. Other than knowing, obviously knowing what musicals he wrote the lyrics to, that's all I knew about him. Couple things that you should know. Oscar was born in 1895. Now, mind you, too, another important thing to note Oscar Hammerstein's father is also Oscar Hammerstein. So, for the sake of this episode, I'm going to be just calling him Oscar Hammerstein, but know that truly he is Oscar Hammerstein II. So, Oscar Hammerstein had some success with his musical Showboat, and then from there, it was like a dry spell. Oscar found that whatever he was writing couldn't really take off, and he wasn't really finding that commercial type of success that he was looking for. 1940, Oscar and Dorothy Hammerstein are touring Bucks County, and reportedly Dorothy sees this rainbow 
and she wanted to follow where the rainbow ended. And where it ended was Highland Farm. So Dorothy had this idea of, huh, let's kind of follow the rainbow, go to the pot of gold in the hopes that this is where we're meant to live. So sure enough, Highland Farm is there. They buy it. Because Oscar had this dry spell with creativity and not producing any work that he was super proud of, she was like, maybe this will turn the tides if we if we buy this house. So they buy it, and boom, Oscar ends up writing his most prolific memorable musicals. So it starts off with Oklahoma, and then from there it went into Carousel, South Pacific, The King and I, and The Sound of Music. So he wrote all of his major ones at this home. Now, mind you, too, when Oscar moved there in 1940, it was all farmland around it. So the legend has it that Oscar was so inspired by his natural landscape. There are these cornfields everywhere around Highland Farm that Oscar ended up writing the lyrics that the corn is as high as an elephant's eye uh, to Oklahoma there at that home. So some neat little tidbits for you if you're ever on Jeopardy. Flash forward, and now we're driving to Pennsylvania. So it's from Buffalo, New York, where I live. It's about a six-hour drive. I think it's like five hours and 50 minutes or something like that. So by the time we get there, now mind you, the entire time, nerves are running through my head going, we're talking about like a really famous musical theater composer. Like, is he going to come through and talk to me? So before we go on, I think another great question that came up is, and I've received it before, is can mediums just randomly channel or talk to famous people? Again, I'm probably going to burst your bubble. The answer is no. Typically, unless the medium is reading somebody who would have been related to that soul. So let's say we are reading somebody who would have been a family member of Marilyn Monroe's, a family member of, you know, one of the royals or something like that. If Unless we're reading one of them, it's not very likely. What's really interesting to note is, so as a medium, before you go into a place like Oscar Hammerstein's home, as long as you do the prep work, so for example, I did my prayers, I meditated, I got lots of rest, I think I took a nap in the car at one point to kind of make sure that my brain would be on and alert. Never, ever, ever recommend a Ouija board. It's probably the worst thing that you can do because that's like giving out a Zoom link with no password. And you're like, hey, all creeps, come on into this meeting right now. So no. Um, One thing I did do as prep work before I went to Highland Farm was I listened to a snippet of Oscar Hammerstein's voice. I don't even know what he was talking about at this point, but I wanted to listen to it to get that sound of his voice up here. That way, should he come through and utilize my clear audience, it would be easier to identify him because I would go, oh, that's Oscar's voice. Because remember, this house was built 100 years before he moved into it. It was built in 1840. There were other inhabitants. And also, don't forget, countless people have been in this home and have inhabited this home after he passed. After Oscar died, Dorothy immediately sold the house. Like, immediately. Dorothy put it up on the market, and what's crazy is that she sold the house with every belonging in it, except a few of Oscar's belongings that were left behind were these gorgeous rocking chairs. And there's this really famous photo of Oscar at Highland Farm, where he's sitting in this chair uh, with his typewriter, writing lyrics. And I was so fortunate when I went to the house, I'd asked them, I said, you know, I'm going to need some type of object to be able to touch though. Because yes, we're in his home right now, but to be extra sure, I would love to be able to touch something that Oscar 
owned touch an object of his. If you're unfamiliar with the term, it's called psychometry. Psychometry is where we are able to touch an object and read or get information about the owner. Now, it's also interesting, though, too, because I believe that all mediums are able to turn to turn this off. You know, some some might have a harder time turning it off fully, so they kind of turn it to a really low volume. I, I can turn it off. If I don't want to channel, if I don't want to read, I will just say, hey, I would really like the day off if, if that's okay with you. I thank you for respecting my for my boundaries today. And I can't wait to I can't wait to read tomorrow. However, I find it really interesting. Oscar did come through beforehand. He had laid out a couple things that I can't wait to share with you. And another soul came through. So I kept getting this woman that was coming to me during meditation. In meditation, we just kind of tune in and what we get, we get. So when I was meditating about a week and a half, I want to say before we went there, this young soul came through. She was so vibrant, so energetic. I had no clue who she was. I'm like, I got nothing. And so I started taking some notes and I was like, huh. She's showing me an image of a farm. She's pointing, and then she showed me Oscar Hammerstein's face. So I'm like, okay, she must be related to Oscar then. And it was interesting. I asked her, I said, how did you pass? And next thing I knew, I heard like the screeching of tires, and I felt some pressure hit my chest. So I wrote all of this down. I contacted Meg, who had set up the experience for Oscar Hammerstein's house, and she was like, uh, I got nothing for you. And then she texted me back. She was like, OMG. Turned out to be Elaine Hammerstein, who is Oscar's niece. So that whole the theatricality aspect of her that came through, turns out she was a silent film actress. And she died in a car accident in Tijuana, Mexico. So that was kind of wild to know that she was already coming through. Oscar did come through loud and clear on the drive. As we got, I would say, about an hour away from Oscar's home, I started hearing him. Now, mind you, as a medium, they can come through so many different ways. So I start hearing the voice again. So thankfully, I had listened to that audio snippet. And he was so kind. He was funny. He was gracious. He was really looking forward to us staying there. And now, mind you, I'm in the car and I'm asking him, I'm like, you've got to give me something specific that could not have been Googled about Highland Farm. I am so harsh on myself as a medium and I never want to be giving information that could seem generic, that could seem like there's so much stuff out there about Oscar Hammerstein's life. So I was like, you've got to give me something specific, something that only the innkeeper would know, something that could be fact-checked, you know, by them, but you know, we might not be able to find on a website. And he was so funny about it. He said, he said, "Make sure you talk about the water damage that happened recently." and thank her for taking good care of the house and fixing it quickly. So mind you, we're still about an hour out. Sometimes we're also filled up with what I call clear cognizance, which is just clear knowing. So for me, I knew right away, just by the way that he was speaking to me and the way that he showed up, I was kind of flooded with this clear sense of Oscar liked to entertain. He would have wanted this home to have been a haven to his family, to his friends, a place where they could find creativity, a place where they could find a respite from the from the busy city. So I'm like, oh, he's very kind. He's very hospitable. So long story short, we pull in and it is 
gorgeous. Let me tell you that. The home is so beautiful. It has been painstakingly preserved and just it's it's so stunning to look at. So it is in the town of Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which is in Bucks County. So when you get there, you can see it from the road. I mean, there's these big tall bushes that are there and then you can see it tucked behind. And as you pull in, there's the typical roundabout driveway and then the parking takes place toward the barn. And sure enough, the minute we pulled in, I can see Oscar there kind of like, you found it, welcome. So anyway, we get there. Mind you, it is apparently the hottest day that Doylestown had this summer. It was like 96 degrees when we got there. So I'm already like, I want to I wanna make a good impression. And I already feel like, what's her name? Kristen Wiig from Bridesmaids, you know, where she's like dripping, like sweat. And she's trying to stay calm and composed. And we get there. The innkeeper, Christine, could not have been any more kind or gracious. And she was out there to immediately greet us. And then she gives us a tour of the home. We put our bags down. We stayed in Stephen Sondheim's bedroom. Let me say that again. We stayed in Stephen Sondheim's bedroom. Like crazy. So let's stop right here. Let's talk about the Sondheim-Oscar Hammerstein connection. So when Sondheim's parents were going through a divorce, he ended up moving to Doylestown. He had a farmhouse. He lived not far from the Hammerstein family. Growing up, Sondheim became friends with Oscar Hammerstein II's kids. So they would play at, at Oscar's house all the time. And eventually, because he was there so often, the Hammerstein family was like, hey, we have an extra bedroom. Anytime you want to stay here, there you go. Now, mind you, at this point, Sondheim knows who Oscar Hammerstein is. He's aware of the fact that he's probably, at this point, America's most influential lyricist for musical theater. If I'm not mistaken, so Sondheim at 15 attends a private school and he was like, you know what? I'm going to write a satire about private school life and I'm going to call it By George. And I'm going to hope that Oscar Hammerstein attends it and he's just going to love it. So Hammerstein attends it and it turns out like it didn't get the glowing review from Hammerstein that Sondheim was hoping for. However, what I did research was that Oscar gave him a lot of helpful tips and pointers on how to develop. Like he gave him writing exercise tips on how to get better in lyrics. So how crazy is that Oscar's like, sure, this wasn't the greatest piece of theater that I've ever seen. However, here are my tips and tricks that I'm going to give to you. Here are some writing exercises I can recommend that I think is going to help make you a better lyricist. So like crazy. When you walk in immediately, the staircase is there that will take you up to the second and third floor. To the right is the living room. There's this gorgeous grand piano, a fireplace, and then these incredible shelves that have all of Oscar's um, records, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein records and books about um, books about Oscar's lyrics, books about Doylestown, Pennsylvania, the history of the area. And then when you make the left, there is the dining room. And then from there, then there's this side foyer. And then from there, the rest of the house back is is blocked off where the innkeeper lives. When you go upstairs on the second floor, really neat, if you make a right, there's this beautiful long room where Oscar would write his lyrics. So he would lock the door, he would hold himself up in this room and write. And it was interesting, he would pace so often. Because before I got there though, when I stepped into the house, I had asked her, I was like, was Oscar like a nervous person? And I feel like he would have hit it well, but I... One of the things that I was flooded with was this idea of 
while he would have hit it, Oscar would have been acutely aware of his um, education level, which I didn't know what that meant at the time, which I will share in a little bit. And I also felt like he would have been, and I get it, that sounds generic. Every artist is acutely aware of like their own limitations or, or you know, critical of their work. But Oscar at times almost to me felt highly neurotic of like, oh gosh, are people going to like this? Am I going to fail? Is this work going to succeed? Things like that. And she validated that Oscar did have this um, tendency to pace. I guess he was a very nervous worker and would pace the entire length of this room. So to kind of keep the house a little bit more quiet and to give him more space so he didn't feel so caged, his second wife, Dorothy, had this gorgeous second floor balcony um, built so he could go outside and, and walk. And so he wouldn't feel so caged indoors. Then when you cross the hall, uh, immediately when I walked into that room, it was neat. My clairsentience was kicking in big time. And all of a sudden, my stomach was in knots. Now, mind you, at this point, I don't know how Oscar dies. But whenever I see, it sounds so strange, but if somebody dies in the home, I see just a quick like little bit of blue light around a house, which me, which to me is just my symbol of somebody has passed in the home. So I walk in and I'm like, is this where, did Oscar die in this room? And she had, she had validated that he had. And then I'm like, well, this is, my stomach is in knots right now. It feels pretty painful. Turns out Oscar had stomach cancer and that's how he passed in 1960, right in that bedroom. When you go up to the third floor, that's where the kids' bedrooms were. And that's where Sondheim's bedroom was, where, where we had stayed. When you go outside, there's this really beautiful arbor which apparently is rumored that Frank Sinatra got married under that arbor. And then that takes you to the barn. And then to the right of the barn is this stunning, gigantic in-ground pool. So on a day where it was 96 degrees, full sun in Doylestown, we were so grateful that you know we were able to, to cool off and, and go for a swim. And to literally be swimming in Oscar Hammerstein's pool, no less, was pretty surreal. So... When we got to the house, too, it was interesting. I could already hear barnyard animals going off. So though it's Highland Farm, I didn't know if he had animals, and it turned out he did. He had, like, a prized collection of animals that stayed at the farm with them. I did not pick up on Dorothy, but he did talk about an additional wife or spouse. And it was interesting. He showed me the word Mary, but then he, like, scrambled the letters. I'm like, I don't know what this means. So I brought up the M name, and it turned out her name was Myra. Oscar's first wife was named Myra. So she came through briefly. She did come through and they had talked about, which I didn't realize, while he was still married to Myra, he was already kind of seeing Dorothy. He had talked about that and he had mentioned how it wasn't his proudest moment. And then they had they had confirmed that he was dating Dorothy while still married to Myra. So let's go back. Remember I told you about the, um, Oscar saying, talk about the water damage, talk about the water damage. So we check in, we put our bags down in Stephen Sondheim's bedroom and I'm, I'm talking with the innkeeper and I'm like, I'm, I'm being told to ask you about the water damage that happened pretty recently and he wants to thank you for taking such good care of it. And she's so kind. I, I see her do this. And she's like, that's wild because one of the pipes burst pretty recently and the ceiling had caved in. And you can go through the house. It is nowhere where we would have seen this. You know, it's not like we were looking up and seeing like a hole in the ceiling. And, and I had brought that up. So it was really neat. And I'm so grateful that he gave me something so concrete and specific to something that was happening pretty currently. Oscar also wanted to talk about a painting night because I was like, you've got to give me some more specific 
evidential things that I can talk about. So he talked about how much he loved people going there to be inspired. And then he showed me like a canvas with painting. And apparently there had been a painting night there where people could just go sit on the lawn and paint the farm. And then right to my right, after mentioning that, one of the original paintings of the home was right there as well. One of the other things that came up was Oscar was so grateful with what they were choosing to do with his home, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But long story short, it's currently a bed and breakfast, and it won't be staying that way forever. Oscar gave them his full blessing to move ahead with their plans. I can't wait to tell you more about this in a little bit. And then I was even kind of surprised because when I got there, I was thinking, hey, I only put out a beacon calling on Oscar. And so I wasn't confused. I was like, hey, let's just maybe keep this to Oscar. But it was so beautiful. Um, I won't go into detail, but some really specific souls came through for, for the folks that had helped facilitate my stay. It was this really cool, beautiful, incredible moment of getting to bring through some very loving souls for these people that are still here in the physical. A couple other things you should note. Um, Oscar kept coming over to check in on us during our stay. He was like, are you enjoying yourself? What do you need? Do you feel relaxed? And I got to tell you, when I say the energy of Highland Farm is crazy, I don't mean it in like a things are flying off the wall crazy type of way. What I mean is like, it's crazy of how powerful the energy there in that home is. It was nothing but positive. It was nothing but inspiring. It was nothing but nurturing. Like I truly felt like he was like, hey, I want you to recharge your battery while you're here. I want you to leave here inspired. If there's anything I can do for you, please let me know. It was like he was serving as a host. Like if, if I would have asked him, hey, could you bring me a towel? He would have tried his best to have brought me a towel in spirit. That's how dedicated he was to this home. One of the things that came through pretty clear was that he had a wicked sense of humor on him as well. He would have liked, he would have appreciated, he would have appreciated a good joke. He would have appreciated telling a good story. And he had a really funny sense of humor. So mind you, where we stayed, our bathroom was not attached. So Stephen Sondheim did not have an ensuite if you were wondering. Uh, but we did have a private bathroom that was right outside of our of our bedroom. So now mind you, when I come in from being outside, I don't untie my shoes. I literally kick them off. So for me being pretty tidy, that's one thing I'm not proud to say. I just throw them wherever. When I came back from the bathroom, I had noticed my shoes had been moved. Um, my, like one was over here, one was over there. When I came back, I had noticed that my shoes had been put together. The shoelaces had been untied and each lace was on its like respective side of the shoe. And I get back and I'm just staring at it and I can hear Hammerstein laughing. And I look at my husband and I'm like, did you? And he goes, was, I noticed it though. He goes, because you don't do this. You are not one to untie the laces and, and have everything very neat. So it's crazy for me. I'm going to be very honest as a medium. I don't normally notice those things. I'm noticing the things that we can't physically see. Typically I'm looking for like little subtle changes on my body or anything that I can get up here, any feelings, any, any things like that. So for me to see shoes that had been physically moved, the laces had been untied. That was really cool. So while we were talking about specific evidence that Oscar could offer to help validate that the experience was valid, it wasn't something that could be Googled, I also thought I would take this time to talk about evidential information and talk about what evidential information looks like during a reading and why you should always be seeking it 
should you go to a medium and have a reading done. Evidential information basically just means it is targeted, highly specific information about the soul you are speaking to, not about the person that you're reading. Now, mind you, if I'm bringing up some very specific tidbits about the person that I'm reading, like the client in front of me, that's wonderful. That's lovely. And of course, that can really help to validate the experience. Because remember, there's a lot of folks over there on the other side. So what I have to do as a medium is really validate, yes, the person that I'm talking to is the person that I'm talking to. One of the best examples I can think of of evidential mediumship or evidential information is actually from the movie Ghost. And I'm going to show you what a bad example of evidential information would be versus good. So if you remember in the movie, Patrick Swayze has the commitment issues, right? And Demi Moore is always like, I love you. And he um, either stays quiet or can't say it back or he'll just go ditto. And, you know, she gets pissed that he can't say I love you. After he's murdered, Oda Mae Brown, a.k.a. Whoopi Goldberg, comes in. She's relaying a message from Patrick Swayze. The character's like, tell her I love you. And she says, he says, I love you. And, and Molly goes, he never would have said that. And he goes, ditto, 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 say ditto. And she says, he says, ditto. Boom. That is evidential information. What does not count? If we're, if we're going to a medium and they are providing you with things like they're proud of you, they love you, that does not count as evidential information. However, if they were to go one step forward and say, they're proud of you for recently finishing grad school with high honors. Yes, that's wonderful. That is wonderful information. But if they're just going, they're proud of you, that's, that's not what you want to be hearing. While you might want to hear that, that's not targeted information. Some other examples of what evidential information would look like is if I were to say, oh, ooh, I have a male here who passed from the heart. It's not, that's not good information. From there, what would make it evidential would be, oh, I have a male here who passed from the heart. I believe this was a heart attack. They would have had some warning signs leading up to it about two or three days beforehand. They ignored it. Uh, they said they weren't going to call a doctor. This soul looks like they would be maybe 35 to 40. Uh, he's showing me He's showing me a football, so I'm not sure if this person was an athlete. He's also talking about two children that he left behind. That is evidential. Sometimes people will go in thinking, well, unless I get the name, their birth date, or like their social security number, it's not valid. That's not evidential. Birthdays and full names are really hard. I'm going to be very honest. Names are not my strong suit. Like, like you saw, like I could not get Myra with Oscar Hammerstein's, you know, first wife. So rather, I was shown the name Mary, and it was scrambled. Sometimes, too, if it's a name that I won't recognize, spirit will just give me another name whose letter, it's the first letter that it starts with. So recently, I was shown the name Lucy, and I'm like, I don't think this is the person's name, but, hmm, it's not, it's, it's not Larry. So I know if I'm hearing Lucy, it's a female, and the first name starts with an L. Sure enough, it was. It was, a, it was an older name that started with an L, something that would not have been up here you know, readily. So that was, that was one of my ways of, 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 of tapping in. You have to understand, too, 
as somebody that did not start developing as a medium until post-college, I'm really grateful for that experience. If you would have told me in early college that I would have been doing this, I would have been very skeptical. I would not have believed it. So in a way, I'm glad that I bring that with me to the readings because if I'm giving something, if I'm given a message that sounds generic, I'm going to go, that sounds generic. You need to give me something more specific. There's this, there's this effect called the Barnum effect. So if you don't remember P.T. Barnum, you know, the circus, the Barnum effect was he had this motto that was something like, we have something for everyone, something like that. That's generally what the Barnum effect is, is a Barnum effect is a statement that sounds very specific, but it also could apply to anyone. So if you were to have a medium that goes, oh, I have an older soul here, they were very loving, they were very kind, very mild-mannered, they would have struggled for a brief period at the end. That's very much a Barnum statement. To me, that is something where I'd go, okay, I know lots of people. Like, I know lots of people, elderly people, that were lovely, that were kind, that were funny, that only had a brief struggle at the end, and then they passed. So rather, you'd want to move from a Barnum statement in order to give evidential information to something very specific. Oh, they died at 88. They, they had dementia. Oh, they were a flight risk. They would wander out of their room at night. The hospital really had to put like restrictions on you know how far they could travel or things like that. That specific. So I encourage you whenever you go to a reading to make sure that the information that is being provided to you is evidential. It is specific. That they're not just going, I have a soul here who stopped breathing. Like, no shit. Like, we all stop breathing. That's how we die. So if you're going to go to a medium, you really want to make sure that they're giving you targeted, accurate information. Now, if you don't connect with something during a reading, though, don't shut it down or don't dismiss it as inaccurate. Go do your homework. Very well could be there are times where I've given messages and they will have not a clue as to what I'm talking about. But if I know I'm supposed to say it, I'm supposed to say it. And then I'll get that email later that's like, uh, I double checked. I know exactly who this is. My family connected the dots for me. Keep an open mind when you go to a reading. Just make sure that they are giving you specific information. And don't be afraid to ask, um, do they have any more specifics for me? Could you ask them for more detail about their personality? Could you ask them for more detail about their family? Could you ask them for more detail about their daily life? Things like that. So in short, the Hammerstein home was incredible. It is currently a bed and breakfast. So if you are in the need for inspiration to have your internal battery recharged, I cannot recommend it enough. There is a website. I will put the link in my bio where if you want to go check it out and book a stay, you can. We had the home to ourselves for the entire day, which was so magical until late at night when somebody had checked in and they came in like a, they came in going, where is the ice machine? I'm like, at a bed and breakfast? And I started laughing. It was like 7-Eleven down the road. I'm like, make sure you are kind because I will tell you the innkeeper is the kindest, loveliest soul you will ever meet. So you better make sure that you're nice. It is an incredible experience that you will remember forever. Earlier, we had talked about the future of the Hammerstein home. So one of the things that I'd love to fill you in on is what it looks like coming up and what you can do to help. There was a foundation that was formed to basically save Oscar's house. So the ultimate plan for this foundation is to turn Oscar's home into this beautiful museum where you will have a guided tour of the home 
And then when you go outside to the barn, it will be an interactive museum as well as a performing arts space. It, it's, it's so incredible where like future generations, like youth can go and train there and feel inspired the exact same way that Oscar was inspired. If you go to hammersteinmuseum.org, you can actually see their renovation phases mapped out and how far along they are with the progress. They still have some ways to go, but I know it's going to be so successful. No donation is too big. No donation is too small. Head over to hammersteinmuseum.org where you can actually donate. If you know those billionaires who have those really deep pockets and big checkbooks, shoot them the information as well too. The Hammerstein House is truly one of a kind. You will leave there inspired. You don't even have to be a medium to be in that home and sense Oscar's energy. It's it's magical, this place. So I cannot recommend it enough. I would like to thank Meg for introducing me to the innkeeper, Christine. I was so bummed leaving there. It was like, you know, like the end of The Wizard of Oz where she's like, I've only been here a short period of time, but I'm going to miss you so much. That's how I felt meeting these two people and, and these families. And I cannot wait to get back there. So also the town of Doylestown is incredible. They had recommended that we went up to the main street. And I was like, oh, that sounds cute. No, this main street is incredible. I mean, it's just like wall to wall local businesses that look like they're thriving and flourishing, incredible restaurants, coffee shops, independently owned movie theaters, things like that. So in addition to staying at Oscar Hammerstein's home, there is so much to do in Bucks County, so I cannot recommend it enough. Well, I want to thank you so much for tuning in to our special episode all about Oscar Hammerstein. I hope you got to learn a little bit more about Oscar Hammerstein in addition to maybe some things you didn't know about mediumship. Until next time, be well, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Hi, everyone. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to learn more about mediumship, please feel free to check out my website, www.stagestormedium.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, or book a reading for yourself. Feel free to check out my Instagram at StageDoorMedium or subscribe to my YouTube channel by the same name, StageDoorMedium. Thanks so much, be well, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.